Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Will Madley's interviews with two of the stars from Ted Lasso, Jeremy Swift and Phil Johnson. Okay, so Jeremy, I was watching episode six of this season, Sunflower. And I see you get up on the stage, and my first thought is, oh, it looks like he's actually playing. So I did a quick Google just to see, do you actually play? And lo and behold, you are an established musician. So <laughs> I would love to know all about the background of this jazz sequence moment this season coming to be kind of your influence on creating that scene and hear a little bit about your career as a musician. All right. Uh, sure. Well, um, well, of course, I did play um, in what was it, episode eight or nine in the first season. Um, but I was playing on my own, and they uh, they kind of cut it together. <laughs> it made no sense at all. Um, I wish that I wish I'd just done a sort of track, actually. So, but yeah, and then I played in the second season. Only I didn't have. Um, and a pickup, so you couldn't hear me at all. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So, but you know, the the uh, the creatives knew that I did play the bass and sort of incorporated that um, from the outset, sort of thing. But it, that what? But yeah, sunflowers was a little moment to 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 uh, show it off a little bit more. Yeah, which was great fun, and I'm very appreciative of uh, Brendan Hunt for for writing that episode. And it you know it hangs in with you know the theme it's so clever the writers what a track to use let's get lost um mm. and, you know and sort of find yourself again uh, ostensibly but uh you know brendan lived as you may or may not know lived in amsterdam for a long time and um you know he did frequent in fact he took us to a jazz club whilst we were there and um you know we i was sat with charlie who plays will and um, there was a couple, and this is this is after it had been written, right? No, right, there was, right. There was a couple at a, a, a table or two away from us who were, who were, you know, fully <laughs> going. Oh, so you were pulling from real life that couple just attacking each other's no, no, faces. It, just, it was like real life imitating art, you know. You know, we were right at the front. Uh, yeah, it was just like what? Yeah. Uh, but no, um, musician-wise, uh, my parents were mu- music teachers, and um, um, I'm often asked if I know anything about sport, and I don't know. I didn't. We weren't sport <laughs> family at all. We were we were 
into music and my mum and dad were in choirs and things like that and um they taught you know the recorder and arranged songs for the schools that they taught at and and so I learned piano and violin when I was a kid and you know inevitably I was more into rock and punk and stuff like that and um yeah um so I've, I've always tinkered around making music I had a a synthesizer when I was about 14. Unfortunately, it only played one note all the way up. <laughs> it was quite a cheap one, you know, that somebody made themselves. Um, yeah, so I, play, I yeah, I've tinkered about and, uh, and I still do. And um, yeah, brought up an album yeah. very recently. Yeah. Oh, you did? Well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's, if I do say so, it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, I've worked on it for ages. It's only eight tracks, but they're very substantial. And I've worked with a fantastic producer, and it's um, very layered, textured. You know, it's not just an old bloke playing a ukulele. These are some songs I brought down from the mountain. You know, um, it's um, you know they're uh, conceptual, and um, yeah, it's it's cool. I'm very very pleased with it. Yeah. Well, that is, that's a wonderful uh, kind of additional element to Higgins' character, and I'm glad they uh, they worked that in. You know, at some point, if you ever run into Brendan Gleeson, I, I learned earlier this year, he performed all his own fiddle stuff in the Banshees of Inishir, and so the two of you guys yes. got to get like a string quartet going at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I think obviously your character is one of the most interesting in the show because everyone else has a lot going on <laughs> chaotically in their life. And Higgins is kind of, he's one of the only people who at least outwardly is kind of stable. You know, he is kind of the the consistent glue where everyone else is going a little bit insane. So yeah. tell me about kind of being in many ways, kind of the backbone of this team and these characters to keep them from spiraling. Yes. Uh, well, it makes sense to have a character, as you say, um, of, of some stability like Higgins, because otherwise it's everybody's running around like headless chickens and you want somebody to, to have some, well, it's not exactly gravitas he's got, but it's everything is relative. Um, but what's clever is that they don't just make him this you know buddha like character who imparts wisdom you know pearls of wisdom at the drop of a hat he, he doesn't even know that he's going to say what he says so he's he's a kind of you know he, he does it almost accidentally so that's a great idea you know that's a that just stops any kind of cliche and it also it you know men over 60 in sitcoms are often the butt of the joke or mm -hmm. the, or the you know they're um they're not they're not they're, they're not in exactly unpleasant but they're kind of a little bit sour or they're, they're they're idiots and it's nice to have somebody a character a male character over 60 that's sort of respected although he wasn't yeah. particularly in the first season but has come to be yeah certainly well, I think that's one of the most interesting things you've done with this character is fleshing him out from this kind of sniveling sycophant to someone who, I mean, you are kind of the wise elder statesman. And by uh, by this most recent season, someone who's even willing to raise doubts about Ted, who's someone who's very close, he's very close to, you know. So tell me a little bit about kind of bringing Higgins out of his shell and really kind of 
turning him into this very earnest, strong person who speaks his mind. Uh, yeah, well, I think what the the upgrade of Higgins that happened at the end of season one enabled him to do was to do his job properly and work for the club. So even when it comes down to possibly getting rid of Ted, which again is done in a really fantastically comic way because he sort of sidesteps it constantly during that scene <laughs> and then he retorts when Rebecca says, well, get rid of Ted that he didn't, that, you know, when did he actually say that? Um, so uh, again, it's a really great idea. And I think, you know, ostensibly he's, he wants to do his job properly and he wants, you know, I think my backstory for Higgins is that he's been a fan for a long time of the club and wanted to play for them, but was useless, you know, <laughs> so wanted to do anything he could to to support them and you know how people do they tag their life to you know a team or a band or whatever um so i think that's his ultimate motivation you know is to upgrade the team in the same way that he has been and he's seen the possibility and ted has raised the game and you know took them out of the doldrums and it's very exciting and how much further can we go with this can we go you know, can we do a Leicester City and go really, really as far as we can? So, yeah, that's that's his that's his goal. That's his aim now. Yeah. Well, so you've had a, a very established career as as a character actor, someone who's never really gotten the appreciation you deserved until Ted Lasso. And Ted Lasso's wrapping up. So, what do you kind of see for? yourself going forward what would you like <laughs> would you want a spin-off show or is there a role you would love to play just in general well i would um there are so many possibilities out there it's difficult to yeah and, and my, my my um um experience has taught me that if you <laughs> if you aim for something in particular it doesn't necessarily work out that you know something else will come along but i always like to do when i do one job i like the next job to be a have a different aesthetic and be a different mm. character and that's what shakes it up for me so and even if it is similar character my job then is to try and be as different as possible as i have just been so i do have stuff going on and I have some self-orientated projects and uh as well as the album of course which i'm promoting this summer in my new single uh can't stop doing it um but and yeah and there are some possibly exciting you know um american projects we'll just um Ooh. see see what happens with because i have my green card now so congratulations uh, see thank you we'll have to see what happens with strikes and whatnot which you know i support yeah. um and let's hope we get a good result from all that it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I should expect to see you, though, as playing just like a real bastard next time you're on screen because it's the opposite of Higgins, basically. Well, yeah, that would be really, you know, 
it would be nice to really turn it around in that way for to really shock people or to play something <laughs> as, his as seemingly you know agreeable as Higgins, but then you know, but then he is a serial killer. You know, after all. <laughs> okay. I want to see that show. That's yeah, yeah, the yeah. Higgins backstory we didn't know about. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. Last last question. Where was your jazz hat? Your fedora. Where was your fedora when we're oh. in, uh, when we're playing? I, I, looked, uh, I basically look. Uh, I think there's only one hat that I wear that I can ever wear, which is a kind of beret on the back of my head. But mostly, I look like Benny Hill in all hats. Every any hat, any hat in the world. And um, Brendan Hunt very much wanted me to wear, you know, a trilby, really. And I went into a trailer and the, and the costume said, there's a few hats for you to, to check out. And I went into this trailer. I think there was about 46 hats in there. And I tried um, of every kind of, yeah, mostly trilbies, but of every colour in the world. And I tried them all on and I didn't like them. And Brendan, will have to say, was a little bit upset that I didn't wear a hat. But I thought, <laughs> no, I can't do it. I want him to look a bit cool for once. And I just don't look cool in hats, I'm afraid. So, <laughs> so. I'm glad you stood your ground there. Yeah, I did, no, yeah. I, it was, a bit, it was, a, it was a bit of a tough one. Yeah, I texted him and said, I really don't like the hats. And, and he, all caps, well, don't wear them then. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, no. <laughs> uh -oh. Uh, it's interesting beard get angry you know we don't see that a lot either so okay well uh thank you so much and i i'm so glad that this show has really kind of gotten you to really explode after years of good performances you know at least across the pond i'm glad people finally start appreciating your work oh you know because i remember seeing you pop up i think in foils war and downton abbey and so it's uh yeah yeah, it's it's, it's nice that you are really uh, getting the appreciation you deserve, and this has been a wonderful character. I know we've all loved seeing Higgins grow on screen, so thank you for everything you've brought us. Oh, appreciate that. That's really sweet of you. Thank you very much. so very much. On three, one, two, three. I love you guys so very much. Great job. Oh, Rock can't just said great job. Oh. Well, good to be talking to you, Phil. Okay, this has been a big season, obviously, for Jamie Tart. I guess the most obvious question is, tell me a little bit about transforming someone who two years ago was probably the second biggest dick in the show into one of the show's most sympathetic characters. That's not, that's not easy to do. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. So close to <laughs> the second biggest Rupert's yeah. there. I'm sorry, man. He's objectively <laughs> the biggest dick throughout. So I've never quite won that prize. Um, in my life. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, that's the that, that's the dream, isn't it? Um, as an actor, you want to have these people who are like reprehensible and it's your job to find the things that justify why they're like that. And also, you know, it's I mean, you know, not to get too much into the, the actor's studio about it, but um, you if no one else, could, you have to be the. At times, the only person who will be able to justify this this person's actions, because as soon as you start to like judge them, 
you're then just going to give a bad impression of somebody. But if you are, you know, making them a real person, making their decisions come from a real place, which is hugely, hugely uh, led by the writing on the show. Um, you know, I, the, the best thing that I think that we, that, that the actors on the show do is get out of the way of the text because it's all there. Like it's all there for us. So um, being a, a conduit for which that story gets to go through is, is a real, like has been a real treat. Yeah. All right. The next question is talk to me about Jamie's hair, man. That is, <laughs> that, that's a really distinctive part of his character and it changes throughout seasons and people comment on it. Tell me about Jamie's hair journey. What's your favorite one? Ooh, okay. Um, I'm kind of liking where we're at in season three. It's going down this way. You got the pronounced uh -huh. eyebrow slash there too. So yeah. Well, you have a favorite? well, I, I, it was largely a sort of, um, it was a collaboration with Nikki Austin, our makeup and hair designer. Who did a great job with Jamie and with like with Keely as well? I think she did such a great job with Juno's character uh, and with everybody, but particularly they're, they're very strong looks. And you know, she really wanted to take inspiration from footballers in the real world, and you know, really make a statement with the character. And so, you know, we looked at lots of famous footballers. The first year is a sort of nod to Cristiano Ronaldo a little bit, mm. and. Uh, and then season two is the Jack Grealish, and then season three is uh, is the sort of David Beckham come and sing. Oh, yeah. And really, we wanted to sort of, you know, Nicky wanted to show a progression in his emotional journey, and you can see when he leaves from Richmond in season one and goes to Manchester, he's going through a change in his life, and he so he changes to a sort of side parting because you know he's just trying to imbue some sort of control in his life when he's being buffeted around and. I mean, look, you know, whether that informs any character development for the audience, I don't know, but it's a really helpful thing for me. And it's kind of incredible once you, you know, I go into makeup in the morning, I'm like, you know, looking haggard, and then you come out and like, bang, you can really feel, uh, there is just like, you, you step into him a bit more. And particularly in season two, I think season two, season three was brilliant, but season two, I think was like, suddenly I felt like, Jamie had taken this whole new step mm -hmm. forward, I think, and he really had like a sense of identity. So I think maybe season two was my favorite. Oh, Sorry, okay. season three. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, season three, on the other hand, it has Jamie probably do some of his biggest emotional moments, at least, you know, outwardly. So there's a couple specific scenes I was curious about. I guess one is that Jamie has to talk about some pretty heavy issues in this show specifically you know he he talks to keely about basically his relationship with nudes and her consent and then also later uh he's got this really interesting scene where he's talking to roy in the, when they're in amsterdam about how his dad brought him when he was basically a kid to lose his virginity in amsterdam and i, I was curious about using jamie to discuss some pretty heavy topics like that that's really interesting and a question that uh, hasn't been brought up before. And I think that one of the cool things about Jamie is that as reprehensible as like his choices are, his personality trait is very direct and honest. And so he's a great conduit through which you can have these, these issues. And he has strength of his conviction, which is something that, you know, I do not. 
in the same way that, in the same way that, that Jamie does. And so he's a really good character to have that conversation through. He doesn't feel like, particularly in season one, he doesn't feel comfortable uh, being vulnerable, but he also is direct in how he feels about things and, you know, what he wants. And so he's a really good, you know, given the tools that Keeley really emotionally teaches him, particularly in season one and Ted as well, but uh, that's more a sort of team framework. I think that, that yeah, he's like, a, he's a sort of perfect melting pot for, to, to learn. And I think that's one of the, re- one of the great things about how they wrote Jamie was that he had the potential to be not just a brilliant footballer, but also a brilliant person. Oh yeah, like a yeah, like a you know a good person. I don't think that he's that anybody should be seen as being like held up as being perfect in it at all. But um, yeah, he's he's a, he's a candidate for uh, improvement as a person, and yeah, he fulfilled some of that. So, what might be kind of your Emmy nomination scene? I don't know, but I'm thinking it might be. Uh, Jamie goes really big, I think in the maybe the second to last episode of this season, where he just breaks down and it's kind of comic, but it's also this really, you know, it's a big crying scene. You're like, I've lost my my wings, Roy. And you're like messing with uh, Roy's face and stuff. You got tears coming down. That's a hard balance between being ridiculous, but also like earnest emotion. Tell me about that scene. It's Yeah, it's, it is hard to do and not feel like that's where you trust your director and Jason. You just have, you obviously you do at this point. You're just like, yeah, you know exactly what you're doing. And that was Declan Lowney, who's a brilliant director and has been on the show all the way through. But also that was a huge nudge from Jason in terms of, you know, how he thought that scene should be played. And again, it's like, you know, in terms of the writing being a conduit for that stuff and also the ideas that Jason has being a conduit for that at times. And it was, it was so silly to film. It's such a silly scene. And I love that so much. And mostly because I had to put my fingers in Roy's, in Brett's nose and mouth, which is exactly like the thing that we, you know, the, 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 the dream scenario throughout <laughs> was, was that was where I wanted it to end up. So, uh, yeah, it was, a. Uh, but still, all of that stuff had to sort of feel like it landed in, a, in an honest place. And, you know, even when we see him talk to his mum saying about when he is impotent, but he's got it in his soul. Again, it's like he's on, like, again, these are his personality traits that mean that he can say these things and he has like a shortcut to it. But his emotional language, he's, his, his emotional availability has come up, but his emotional vocabulary is still like a bit janky. And I think that's the fun thing. That's those two things sort of clashing that make it that make it fun but yeah I mean I'm glad that it went down well because it was like when you're doing you're like this is big this is like this is a big choice and you know you just have to trust and that Jason you know it sounds ridiculous to say but the Jason knows we don't of course he does um and so wow, yeah, that's, just like, that's literally like trusting Ted Lasso this is getting very meta here you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. he knows what he's doing even if it seems weird well, I think we're about out of time, but uh, just it's just poopy. Let it flow. Um, that delivery will be stuck in my head for weeks. So thank you, Bill. Oh, no, no. Oh, dude, I'm sorry. That was I don't know if it was my wife or whatever, but we. Oh, oh that's all great. good. All right, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the week and good luck this Emmy season and post lasso. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Nice of to meet you, man. man.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interviews with two of the stars from Ted Lasso, Jeremy Swift and Phil Dunster here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Ted Lasso is now currently up for your consideration for this year's Emmy Awards in all eligible categories. And all of its episodes are available to stream now on Apple TV+. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.